I am Plata of the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. A new book, a stunning one really, it's actually in the title, A Stunning Backdrop, Alberta in the Movies, 1917 to 1960, was recently published and tells a story of movie production in Alberta. It started with American filmmakers seeking the bucolic and breathtaking scenery of the Wild Rose Province, which uh, embodied the myth of the great Northwest, mountains, and the last frontier. The book is well-researched and a beautifully illustrated one, with great photographs, stills from productions, as well as more recent photos showcasing where some memorable movies were shot. The uh, book's author, Mary Graham, joins me now. I'll ask her about what made Alberta an ideal place to shoot movies, about the industry that's grown there over the years, as well as uh, touch on some of the uh, films shot there up to 1960, their legendary directors and their unforgettable stars. I'll ask Mary, too, about the relationship uh, the uh, Stoney Nakoda had with film producers and their participation in productions. Mary Graham is uh, a writer, documentary journalist, and film historian. This new book is from Bighorn Books, which is an imprint of uh, University of Calgary Press. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Mary Graham. Ms. Graham, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I guess it is afternoon where you're in Calgary. Um, as I was telling you just before we started, it's it's a, a marvelous book. Um, it's a beautiful book. Um, the, the research is, is so meticulous. The, the photographs you, you uh, chose for the book are, are just wonderful to look at. Um, the years, I guess, 1917 to 1960, that's what this book covers. What, what, um, what was happening in 1917? How did it all start in, in Alberta, especially when it came to movie production? Um, in, in, Alberta had had a film exchange um, in 1916, Calgary had, which uh, film exchanges produced and distributed westerns, and I, I haven't been f- able to find out much information about that. Uh-huh. But in 19, about what what that actually involved for Calgary, but, um, you know, that's, uh, I had to stop, but anyway... 1917 um, was the year that Frank Borzaghi came up to uh, the Morley, the Banff uh, area where the Morley Reserve is, and took a couple of quick shots for realism um, for his movie on a Northwest Meller about um, a father who uh, is accused of killing a drunken boar in the wilderness and flees and... uh, you know, promises the woman taking care of the baby to come back every year and runs into a, a wild waif of the wilderness. And she is rescued by a mountie. And uh, he, uh, anyway, and, and she becomes um, more tamed and more ladylike. Uh-huh. Um, and then reveals what happens. But um, Frank Rizaghi was one of the directors out of Bison. And uh, Bison were was the film group from Thomas Ince, the father of the Western, and mm. as uh, in 1916, as um, filmmaking started to become commercialized and formulaic, these directors sort of started a movement on realism. They wanted uh, realistic backgrounds. They wanted to enhance the movie-going experience, um, not just produce sort of mass-produced boxy films that out of studios for profit. And um, there was a travel locks who were really popular at the time, and there was a, a very popular guy who came up to the Banff area the year before and filmed uh, four or five movies, certain homes, uh, mm-hmm. about going up over Lake Louise with this, this 
guides and camping with the Dakota, and I think that's what prompted Borzaghi to come up here, and that is what started it all. Borzaghi won the first Academy Award for uh, directing in 1929. He's a very influential uh, filmmaker to the history of filmmaking, and uh, he sort of, the, the directors that followed him were all very influential, and I, it, that was very surprising to me. That was that came out in the research. Yeah, it's fascinating to read some of the names that have, have found their <laughs> way up in Alberta. You know, people like King Vidor, for example, um, early in his career, right? King Vidor, that was or Vidor. Yeah, um, that was that movie just came to me out of a fluke. Um, I was researching Ernest Shipman, who had um, been trying sort of in Calgary. He tried to you know, jumpstart a film industry in, in uh, 1919, but um, he, he was a bit of a, a player, and uh, he, he soon took his wares to Edmonton and sort of played the two cities off against each other. Um, he, he, had, he always aligned himself with very uh, popular direct, or writers of the time, and mm-hmm. the movie he made in Calgary was um, Kerwood, James Oliver Kerwood, uh, famous writer about the wilderness and the, the, the snowlands of Alberta. And in Winnipeg, he struck a deal with Ralph Connor, who was a Presbyterian minister who also wrote about sort of the wilderness and the wilds of Alberta. And uh, Shipman was supposed to, the, the sky pilot, the movie King Vidor did, was, uh, was supposed to be produced by Shipman, but he ran out of money. And they were such a popular property, there was, there was a huge bidding war, um, to get that property, and uh, I, uh, an independent uh, female producer named Kathleen Catherine Curtis won the rights, and she had a lot of money backing her. And she hired King Vidor um, to to make the movie, and it was the second one he did. I think he was twenty three or twenty six. Wow! Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it, other than say just the bucolic nature of Alberta. Um, that made it an ideal place to shoot. What were some of the the, the other reasons why um, Hollywood was drawn to say Alberta? I mean, economically, it must have been. Um, uh, was it was it a good deal for them to, to to take movie production up here? Say. No, I don't think that was the issue. They were they were interested in our um, our First Nations who were quote unquote less hostile than American Indians, mm. um, Native Americans. Um, you know it. They were interested in the scenery. They were fascinated with the cinematic light and, and the fact that it stays light so dark. They were raving about that in, in 1899. You know, journalists were talking about the light of Alberta. Um, and it is the wilderness scenery. There, there, many of them, you know, it was repeated even in the early, before the 1920s, that American landscapes were depleted as they, as they became industrialized. So there was a feeling that um, this was pristine land. And the other thing they were trying to do was take um, photographs for their films, scenery that had never been photographed before. And uh, Frank Brzezaki came back to Lake Louise in 1919, I think, uh-huh. for Billy Jean, purposely to get uh, footage at Lake Louise. But he, they did, they, they got they got beat by a head of hopper movie. Yeah, to be the first to um, have it in the movie. So, see, the uh, you alluded to um, uh, relations with the indigenous. Um, 
So how were they in Alberta, namely the uh, Stoney Nakoda, in terms of um, their relationship with the movie business? Um, what, what have you been able to glean, say, in your research about that? Well, I worked with 10 elders of the Nakoda for about five years to talk about their history in filmmaking. And um, the Nakoda, the Morley Reserve, is, is, is situated just outside Banff National Park. And, and although every First Nation in Canada faced horrible, horribly oppressive policies, mm-hmm. weren't allowed to practice their culture, uh, were treated horribly, and their, their traditional way of life was squeezed away them. The had a generally friendly relationship with the people in Banff, and um, one of their one of the people who really helped him was Norm Muxton. He's responsible for bringing the bison back to Alberta, mm-hmm. um, and that was a big draw for filmmakers too. But um, Norm Muxton was a very well connected man. He um, he he had a, a theater. His dad was producer or publisher of the Winnipeg Free Press. I think it was probably not called that at the time. And he was very connected in the States, and so were the Brewsters. So their relationship, I think, with the Nakoda is, is one of the reasons filmmakers came, and it's one of the reasons Burton Holmes was able to film with them. Mm. And the Nakoda were um, used as location guides. They were cultural consultants. Um, they were scouts. They, they knew the mountains. Um, they were actors, they were wranglers, and um, and also what the door and what um, Frank Rizzotti and Thomas Ince and all of the Reginald Barker, all of those huge early pioneering film directors were looking for, were not the quote unquote cowboys and Indians uh, movies. They mm-hmm. were they wanted to film indigenous people in their natural state. Mm. And uh, the Nakoda were very accommodating. Um, their teepees were used in the movies. They were, you know, for the first, before sort of the cowboy and Indian movies, the standard Western as we know it, yeah. became sort of fixed in our, uh, you know, in culture. Um, they were most often in those early movies filmed in a natural state, in their teepees, in the wilderness, uh, in their own clothes, with with the families, their families. Uh, there's a 1922 movie Frank Borzaghi did with uh, a chief coming out of the uh, uh, teepee. He wasn't dressed like a chief, but uh, with a little boy, and then the mother is tanning hides on a very traditional um, structure. And the other thing with the Nakoda, their great chiefs were in the movies, and um, they have a long, long history of... of of being in the movies, and they did it as a way to build um, relationships with people who understood what was happening to them, because their culture was, you know, was, was at risk of being eradicated, right. and yeah. um, a lot of the filmmakers were very empathetic to them. The, the photos in the book are stunning, and, and you do a marvelous job in the book, not just including, say, stills from productions, but, but, but um, almost present-day photos. Um, showing us what it looks like still. Um, what was it like um, to decide what photos to showcase <laughs> in the book? <laughs> that was, I, I think that probably could have been called probably a four or five year proposition. It was, <laughs> um, I mean, there's the one at Castle Mass where the Nicole came and, uh, or, or, you know, um, James Wong Howe, one mm-hmm. of the greatest cinematographers, yeah. came very early in his career. That took about four years to find. Wow. And um, 
you know, it was, it's up in Banff. It's, it's, it's east of Banff, but um, I finally went to, um, you know, a, 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 an old-time Banff residence, and she told me how to get to it. It was down like a very, a, a road that doesn't exist anymore in a field underneath Castle Mountain, and there it was. Um, it was how, how to decide. I mean, both Falls was used in many, many movies, and that was an easy one. Um, Wainwright, for the 1923 Thomas Ince movie with the bison stampede, uh, took photographer George Weber. I, I went up, I think, three times um, looking for where it would have been filmed. It's now a military base. Mm. And uh, George Weber and I made arrangements to go up, and, and we got to the gate, and it's a training base. Um, and they just waved us through, and I, I, we drove around. We ran into four-story tall trucks. We were near a missile range. We ran into troops. And the next day I said, GW, I'm stopping at that gate, and I'm going to ask them you know, if we're allowed to be in there. And they just waved me through again. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you very much, Canadian military. That was fabulous. Yeah. And to find that filming location, we had these little paper copies of sex fields and old historic photos. And George um, George took a bunch of photos, and I was shocked that um, he he chose it. I, I let, you know I, I had my opinions, but I let him choose it. And and when it was put beside a set still of the Bison Stampede, it was an exact match. I you know so it was it was. Um, it was really, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was a very big undertaking, and I'm, I'm very, I, it was very worthwhile. Yeah, it, it seems, I had a lot of fun reading the book. I'm sure it was a lot of fun to put together, a lot of work, obviously. Um, as a film historian, as an Albertan, um, uh, what is it like to see some of these films? Um, is, 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 that, is that fun as well? You know, it's not, the films weren't what I, I thought. I quickly realized that when you're going back 100 years yeah. and you're dealing with studio hype and you're dealing with myths, part of the, my biggest problem was the film industry or, or people had a fixed idea of the film history, and it's not what I was seeing. So I had to sort of keep my head down for five years. No one knew who I was. I, I wasn't going to get into any arguments about it, but I knew I had to see the films to really discover what they were. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were, how, how was it seen the films? Most of these films are by very big directors very early in their careers. And it was shocking how good they were. And as I, my research deepened, I was finding out things like, you know, the, the Frank Borzaghi movie, people were clapping when they saw it in 1922. Mm -hmm. um, I also had very, everybody sort of assumed they were B-Westerns, and that's it's when I saw the films, and then I actually saw The Revenant, the 2015 Revenant, I thought, these are not Westerns. This is a whole new genre. Um, and that's, you know, um, it's a, it, it's like a Western, but it's, it's got completely different elements. And, and I was like, well, it can't have been sort of established or founded in Alberta, and it was. So that was you know, watching those films led to that conclusion too. So, um, yeah, and they were really good films too. Yeah. I, I loved them all. <laughs> they were really good. I've got a list of movies now after reading the book that I want to go back and see. Um, uh, Some just, of them are available on YouTube. I can, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a, it, it's as a as a film fan to, to to be able to discover say new movies like this is just great f fun for me. In t in terms of tourism to Alberta, I mean. It, it, 
I, I, people have been going to Alberta forever. But um, in, in terms of once movies were made there and, and you, you got to see, say, the hype and the PR that was in the media of the day, um, did, did, did the, 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 the making of movies, did, did that, say, draw more people, say, to, to Alberta? Oh, yes, for sure. You know, um, you know when Raoul Welsh, who I adored, and Nakoda adored him as well, he made a movie in 1953. Um, he, he, he sometimes took tourists, you know, who were watching filming um, onto the set or in, into the movie and dressed them up mm-hmm. in the movie. And, um, what I gathered was that many of the movies had a lot of people watching them being filmed. There's... Um, you know, the Bison Stampede and Wainwright, which the Samson Cree were forbidden to go to by the government because Canadians were in an uproar about it mm-hmm. because they were going to film them being shot with blunted arrows but actually shot by sharpshooters, and people were crazy about that. Um, they were told not to leave their reserve and, and to forget any idea of being Douglas Fairbank and... Somewhere, the, the, the decision was reversed, and when they filmed it, um, the press didn't know about it, but there were crowds there watching it. So, um, yeah, in terms of film tourism, and I mean, it continued right through the 60s, people looking for locations, and uh, the Saskatchewan movie by um, Raoul Walsh, people, they left the fort, and people would come up from the States looking for it. So I think it's... Um, It'll be interesting with film tourism now. I, you know, I was just down at the Oscars, and and there's a lot of film buffs in the Oscars archives. And everybody, the locations in Alberta are so iconic, mm. and everybody wanted to know a lot about the, the one of uh, for the assassination of Jesse James. I forget the year of the movie, but with Brad Pitt in the field, um, you know, everybody wanted to know about the locations and the lights. And um, yeah, I, I expect you know, Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I expect if, if you're asking if it's going to come, it's going to create more film tours, and I expect it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the book goes to 1960. I, 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 um, I understand that you're working on a, a, a sequel. A sequel is not the right word. It's a continuation of this book, isn't it? It is a continuation, and it is... Actually, I was just talking to a wrangler who, who worked on Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven in many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he worked on four or five... Uh, Academy Award-winning movies, um, and he was. We had a, a, a. I met him yesterday, and he was. He was talking about um, recent people came to films in Alberta now, and everything he said was that everything he said was is explained in the book, and that was why I started the book because I couldn't get that, but the history leads into it, and it's it's basically the same history for a hundred years. It, you know. It's the indigenous populations, it's the light, it's the landscapes. They love coming to Alberta, um, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with the second book. It's, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of work. It's a, it's a big, big history again. But yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's... it's the, um, there's a movie in, in the film that you talk about that... Um, I just stopped reading because I, I didn't want to spoil it for myself. It, it's it's called the forty ninth forty ninth parallel. Oh, yeah. And and um, uh, this takes us to the Second World War, and uh, in the midst of the Second World War, and and um, 
I didn't even know that it was nominated for Best Picture. Is that right? Oh, it was a huge movie, and it was the first movie that David Lean and Freddie Young worked on, and they actually came back um, for Dr. Zhivago and shot scenes at Morley from the train for the Dr. Zhivago, and, and they shot the um, the Blue Light of Alberta at, at Magic Hour, which Terrence Malick, you know, made famous in Days of Heaven. Mm. Uh, it was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I don't want to tell you too much, but it, it was... Um, um, it was to be a, a British propaganda, a war propaganda movie, and uh, the, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger were their director and writer, and they, they formed a partnership called The Archers afterwards. Uh, very famous filmmakers. Very, they had a, a code of conduct and a code of, of how they made their movies. Um, it's it's a it's a spectacular movie. It's, um, yeah, they yeah. It, it, it stars uh, Olivier and, and uh, Trevor Howard. Just a, just a huge uh, Raymond Massey, I guess, as, as you write in the book. It's the, uh, or I saw it in the book. He's, it's the first time that um, he played a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, there, you know, and and uh, Lawrence Olivier, uh, they brought a, a Macy Trapper down from from the very far north to teach Lawrence Olivier how to uh, speak like a, a French-Canadian trapper. Mm. And uh, he, he took him back to London with him when they were filming in the studio, and he included him in every press conference he had. Um, I think it's Leslie Howard. They actually wrote the part for him. Oh, Leslie Howard. Trevor Howard is someone else. Pardon me. <laughs> Trevor Howard is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, born a rebel or whatever, yeah. Yeah, Trevor um, Howard was the guy in... Um, the um, the Noel Coward movie that everyone likes. Um, it was a beautiful movie, the the one at the train station, with um, Leslie Howard, who's in Forty Ninth Parallels, the one from Gone with the Wind, who played. Uh, and they wrote the role, they wrote the part for him. Right. So, yeah. Um, actually, brought over very famous British actors, but uh, they were filming in a, um, I think it was an Amish colony in Manitoba, and. Um, I forget her name, but she was smoking and drinking, and and um, the Amish women didn't take kindly to it, and it was quite a <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a set. Elizabeth Bergener, Bergener? Mm-hmm. and it was quite a set too. And she she left, so um, she went back. But they they had to they had to sail through U boats and festive waters to get here. River of No Return. This is a movie that we all know. I, 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 I probably have seen it as a kid, but I can't remember it. And so this is one of the movies that I'm going to revisit, I guess, or rewatch again, or watch for the first time, perhaps. Uh, Otto Preminger directed it. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, Robert Mitchum. Um, she, she was already a big deal by the time she arrived in Banff, right? She was just starting to be a big deal. She had I just see. become a legend. It was that winter. They filmed in, I think, in August. In January, she uh, they filmed uh, in Niagara, her rear end, and uh, um, conservative America really stood up and, and was offended. And there, there was a, a battle raged all winter about you know just the decline of American values. <laughs> right. <laughs> And a lot of people defended her, and she by I think by May um, she became the legend. She, you know, she to hear Robert um, Mitchum talk about her, um, he he knew her. He knew her husband when uh, he was working in an aircraft craft plant. Yeah. But she was very shy, 
but he, you know, he really, he really had a lot of respect for her. And um, she said she, she thought the whole sex symbol thing was just very funny, and yeah. she just burlesqued it, you know. Yeah, and and so when when they came to do this movie, um, attention was 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 all over the place, wasn't it? Attention was all over the place. The Banff Springs Hotel got in trouble for limiting people who could come in uh, from you know the public. Um, she filmed first in Jasper, and Jasper's actually loved by the stars. It's, it's a little bit isolated, mm -hmm. and it, it really closes around. Um, there's, there, Billy Wilder had a lot of trouble with his people fraternizing with the Jasper. Jasper, they really close around the people who come, and they keep them private. And Joe DiMaggio came to visit her, and um, uh, he, he met three kids hitchhiking, and he picked them up, and he said, where are you going? And they said, we're going to meet Marilyn Monroe. And he he said, well, he took them home to the parents and met the parents and said, can I pick them up at, uh, in the morning to come and have breakfast with us? And so he, he went to every house in the morning, and he took them to meet her so they didn't have to hitchhike, and wow. they had breakfast with her. Um, Banff was a little more of a, uh, when she got to Banff, it was a little more of a sideshow. She mm. was um, a lot, you know, there was a lot of people looking for her, um, but um she she was very involved in Banff. She spent a day with Norm Luxton, um, the the you know the man who owned, who who was the Nakoda liaison, mm -hmm. owned all the theaters. Um, she yeah she was um, one Calgarian Lola Rose met her and she was absolutely delightful and she met her she saw her tumbling out of a uh, off the raft at the bottom of the Bow Falls. And then they met them in the dining room of Banff Springs, and she went up to the table, and she was very pregnant, and, and Marilyn rubbed her tummy and said, I hope you have a little girl. Mm. So she was very, you know, um, I really liked her, and yeah. everybody, yeah, Jasper the Jasper, I loved her. Yeah, so. yeah it comes through in the book. This is, just a, this is obviously a celebrity, but someone who's also down to earth and not, I isolating from other people and no. I guess that's what Alberta does to, to when people shoot there I mean there are obviously some stories where it's uh, less than friendly or less than than fraternal if you will but um, for the most part people like coming up there don't they they love coming up here Paul Newman when he shot Buffalo Bill and the Indians in 1976 I mean he brought he liked uh, I think it was Corvus era just, so I might be wrong but he brought up a refrigerator truck full of beer, and he brought up um, popcorn, and it was just parked outside the hotel yeah. in Calgary. You know, and he, he was just, you know, from what the people who worked on the movie said, he was very, very friendly and, and um, just a, a really nice guy and, and very generous. And, uh, you know, John Barrymore was, was, you know, not having the greatest time up here. but uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> All the stories that went on in that hotel. Yeah. Uh, they took a lot of the good stuff out of the book, but, um, <laughs> but but people who met him also, you know, said he was a remarkable person. And and I I did a lot of research into, and I just fell in love with him. He yeah. he really was a remarkable person, and and didn't like being a celebrity, but played it well. Indeed, so, indeed. Yeah, they like to come here. Well, you've given me a, a, a long list after reading the book of movies that I'm going to be checking out over the holidays, so I appreciate that. 
And uh, I appreciate your time today for, for uh, taking the time to, to talk about this book. It's a beautiful book. Congratulations and continued good luck with it, Mary. I, I really appreciate your interest, and you've just made my heart full with your praise. I really, I really, you know, when you put this stuff out in the world, <laughs> it's kind of anticlimactic, but I really appreciate it. So. The book is called The Stunning Backdrop, Alberta in the Movies, 1917 to 1960. It's uh, from Bighorn Books, which is an imprint of the University of Calgary Press. Its author, Mary Graham, joined me on the line from Calgary, Alberta, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.